crowd of the news cycle these days can be relentless. Let us help you with that. I'm Jordan Heath-Rawlings, host of The Big Story, Canada's most interesting daily news podcast. Every day, we stop that news cycle in its tracks and examine one big story in depth, something that matters to Canadians. You can find The Big Story every morning for free at Frequency Podcast Network or wherever you get your podcasts. Find your frequency. You're listening to a Frequency Podcast Network production. If you gave it... Just the right twist. It could be a buddy comedy. She's progressive. He's conservative. He loves cars. She rides a bike every day. He's about the millionth white man to be the premier of Ontario. She is the first Asian woman to be mayor of Toronto. Naturally, during her campaign, he wasn't exactly rooting for her. Unfortunately, uh... It'd be an unmitigated disaster if Olivia Chow got in. Her policies don't work. Matter of fact, Colin, what is her policies? I've heard one policy. I'm raising taxes. But like all good scripts, once fate forced them together, strange things began to happen. And so in September, Premier Doug Ford shared a podium with Toronto Mayor Olivia Chow. He thoughtfully presented her with a photo that included his late brother Rob honoring her late husband, Jack Layton, and the two of them vowed to work together to find a deal that would help fix the city's ugly financial situation. I've also had the, the pleasure of getting to, to know uh, the mayor as a thoughtful leader uh, who brings people together, because that's how you get things done, by working together. And uh, Mayor Chow and I were, were committed to working together. Cut now to earlier this week, when the two appeared together again, not just to sing one another's praises, but to unveil a historic deal that will, among other things, give the province control of two major Toronto highways, provide millions of dollars for Toronto's transit system and shelter crisis, boost the city's housing plans, and allow Doug Ford to fulfill his dream of turning Ontario Place into a spa. And of course, I want to thank the mayor for her commitment and dedication to getting this deal done. It's amazing to see what we can accomplish when we work together, when we put our differences aside and focus on what unites us. So Mayor, thank you so much. So how did we go from unmitigated disaster to, of course, I'd like to thank? How does a massive deal like this come together anyway? And when you become mayor of a city with well, an awful lot of problems. How do you decide what to fix first? I'm Jordan Heath-Rawlings. This is The Big Story in Studio, in conversation with Toronto Mayor Olivia Chow, a progressive politician based in Toronto for more than two decades now as a school trustee, as a city councillor, as a federal member of parliament, a mayoral candidate, and now for the past six months... Uh, the first person of color and the first woman since amalgamation to be the city's mayor. Olivia, that's a lengthy introduction. Can I call you Olivia or should I call you Mayor Chow? Olivia is good. I want to start by talking about this deal that you've announced with the province this week. And uh, I'm somebody who's covered Toronto politics a lot. We've made uh, podcasts about the Ford legacy. I want to ask you first, 
you've known Doug for an awful long time. Do you remember the first time you met him? Do you remember your first impression of him? I remember the first time I met his brother. Everybody does. Yes. (laughs) Uh, We were on city council together. I didn't serve with Doug Ford much. It was mostly with his brother, Rob Ford, who later became the mayor. When he became the mayor, I then became a member of parliament and I left uh, city council. But Rob, uh, Rob Ford has a special way of working. Uh, big heart, has flaws, have a different approach in life. Very, very much uh, in touch with the needs of the people. Hmm. But uh, his way of dealing with it is, of course, slightly different than my way. But uh, the 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 desire to serve. You can right. see that from the Ford family. In terms of um, you and Doug, you guys have both, I think, kind of alluded to a a very friendly, maybe frenemies uh, kind of relationship in getting this done. Uh, before you became mayor during the campaign, he said, uh, as I'm sure you know, that you would be an unmitigated disaster. At the press conference this week, he was very sweet and, you know, called you somebody that he enjoyed working with and presented you with a, a family photo from when uh, the fairies were named after your late husband. Um, how do you manage that relationship? How did you go from that to this? From disastrous? An unmitigated disaster. Not just disastrous. Um, <laughs> there's no mitigating factors. Uh, no, really, it was about how to achieve something for people. He wants to make sure that we have a city where life is a bit affordable, more affordable. So uh, both he and I wouldn't want to see people sleeping on the street or people pay too much for rent. So building affordable housing, uh, putting money in shelter, he agreed to that. He also, because he lives in the city of Toronto, also understand the need for investing in public transit, which is what he did. He wanted to buy the new subway cars on the Bloor line. Mm -hmm. The unfortunate thing is that because it's conditional, it takes three parties. Right now, $1.6 billion is locked because the federal government hasn't come in yet. And his shelter money is also dependent on the federal government coming in to pay their share for the refugees' cost, the cost of sheltering refugees. And then, of course, you might have heard the Garner and the Don Valley Parkway, it being both of them being uploaded makes perfect sense because they're regional highway. And that was really more of a long-term solution that deals with our structural financial problems. So those <clears throat> are the general areas of what we accomplished together. We said we would continue, uh, our staff will continue to work together uh, so that there would be other elements of the deal or uh, because it was only two months. Right. It was really fast. They work hard. But those are some of those are one time only for two or three years. We still have to deal with the structural problem. So that piece is going to happen in the coming two years. 
And having that assurance was really important to me and for the residents of Toronto because it provides some hope that we can now take the money that we have to fix a very old highway, two old highways, Mm -hmm. to now build affordable housing, shelter people, and start repairing and increasing the service of public transit. All of those things are really important. I want to ask you in a moment about the federal government's role and and how much pressure this deal, I guess, uh, from your point of view, hopefully puts on them to get involved. But first, I'm fascinated by how a deal like this comes together. As you mentioned, it was very quick. Your respective staffs are obviously put together uh, the framework of it. How does it close? Is it you and Doug together looking at papers, making sure you both agree? Who says yes? Who has the final say? And uh, were there times at which uh, one or both of you almost ended up a no? Yep. Yeah. Of course. <laughs> it's a deal, right? Yeah. Uh, it was on a Sunday night. We had a conversation at around I don't know, 8 or 9 p.m. And we said, okay, we're going forward. And then you saw the press conference on Monday. Who was the final person that agreed both, to it? Both, both of, of us. You. Well, it takes both of us to say yes. He understood what I need and I understood what he need and he did. And it was, um, as I said, when you hear each other, see each other and find the common ground, we could arrive to a certain place. Uh and did we agree with everything? No. And But um, in order to get to a place, you have to be able to be empathetic to each other's needs. The premier himself called it a really one-sided deal. Uh, he says, you got the better of it. By far, did you rip him off? Do you agree? No, not at all. Because he finally was able to right an historic wrong in some ways, which is why both of us use the word historic. What's the wrong? Uh, well, <laughs> having city of Toronto to manage a regional highway, you'll be driving along in Mississauga, coming down over to Gardner, going east, and all of a sudden you cross the border, and then the road looks, well, it's the same road, the same highway, Gardner, and all of a sudden, why is it that Mississauga didn't have to deal with Garner and then Toronto you do right same thing with uh, <clears throat> if you come down 404 to DVP coming down from Markham and all of a sudden oh nothing changed why is it that the city of Toronto through the talk, property tax base have to manage it remember of a hundred dollar of taxes you give only nine dollars come to the city of Toronto the rest are your income tax, sales tax. $9 is your property tax. So hang on a second. If you think about it, $9 of $100 as 9% of the taxes you pay goes to, oh my God, police, TDC, clean water, public health, and childcare, and roads, and parks, and recreation. Oh my, you name it. Almost every aspect of your life, of your day, you wake up in the morning, turn on the tap, it's the city of right. Toronto, right? And you go out on the street, whether you drive, the roads, uh, or public transit, city of Toronto. Your kids might go to the community center at the end of the school. Again, it's the city. So it really, it, the, structurally, we have a problem. 9% is not enough 
of the revenue that we get. So that's why I require both provincial and federal government coming together to help it out, help us out. If not, we really want to build housing. You can see the number of people that are on the, in the food bank. Kids, mm-hmm. seniors, one out of 10 Torontonians rely on the food bank. Why? Rent is too high. Mm. Why? Because we haven't built housing for all this time. So there's so much more we could do. In terms of the immediate funds that come uh, from the province, specifically for uh, temporary housing and shelters uh, during this winter, that's a lot of money. I want to know, you know, first, how quickly does it get here and how quickly will uh, people who are obviously looking at winter coming on right now be able to experience expansion? And secondly, where does the long-term solution come from? Because obviously, you know, that's not going to help for longer than a winter or two. Oh, you're absolutely right. The money is conditioned on the federal government paying their share. It's about $200 million of the cost of housing refugees. The shelter money as well. Yeah. So So it doesn't come until the federal government kicks in its part. Yes, which is a problem. Uh, It's a problem because... Tonight, there will be two or 300 people knocking on the door of our shelter services, needing. Now, today mm-hmm. is a bit, you know, not that cold, but... It's coming. It's coming. I know. And whether you, it's the refugees from Ukraine or in Africa, you need a roof over your head, especially those. Well, they, they all do. But uh, can you imagine if you're arriving from Africa, Hmm. you don't have winter clothes and you're on the street. So our shelters are full. In the long term, basically the federal government needs to step up and say, yes, we will take charge of these refugees. When we first asked them, they said, go talk to the province. I now got the province on site. Now I'm going back to them, right? But in the long term, what we need to do is to say, all right, we have 11,000 people in shelters. Mm -hmm. Is there a more effective, efficient way to house them? Yes. This year alone, instead of putting them in shelter hotels, which we did during COVID time, we are putting them in houses and nonprofit organizations. So it's cheaper than shelter hotels. We have a long-term plan to build modular housing, to build smaller units so that people can move in, as whether it's refugees or, or people that are temporary homeless, they can get on their feet quickly and then find housing. So it's a lot cheaper that way. They could cook their own meals. It wouldn't, the mm-hmm. shelter really have no capacity to do that. So we do have a plan, but the upfront money to put all that together is quite costly. We went from a few thousand number of homeless people to 11,000. Like, it's just mind-boggling. It's almost $800 million. We have to figure out a way. And it's... Some people would see people on the street and think there is a stereotype of people on the street... No, there are people that have worked all their lives. 
people that still work, people that sleep in their cars, people that got injured and can't work and then got evicted and then they get desperate. So there are so many people that are facing eviction these days. It, so, um, and a good percentage of them are children mm-hmm. that that their mom might be facing abusive relationship and they, they leave and then all of a sudden, where do you put the kids, right? So they're in our shelter motels. But that also is expensive. We have to pay for motels because as a mom with several kids, right? Sure. Um, so all of that, because of the housing crisis, that number just grew. Mm-hmm. And then the refugees number went into 54% increase, right? Yeah. It's a, it's a daunting challenge. I'll, I'll ask yeah. you, I'll ask you this because you've mentioned it. Uh, the cold is coming. Um, there are far more people uh, without homes in this city than, than there have been in years past. Shelter is at a premium. Um, and, and you're obviously uh, empathetic to all those things. I can hear it in your voice. Um, there are encampments that are being torn down in the city, you know, as we speak over the past couple of weeks. Those are for some people their last option and their last stop. They can't, they can't find space in shelters. They can't go anywhere. You know, how do you balance uh, that empathy that you've just expressed with what's happening to those people today? Mm-hmm. It's a very good question. Everyone that left the encampment did so voluntary and were able to be housed in a shelter hotel with wrapped around services, whether it's counseling or food uh, so they have all they need in order to live in that shelter hotel. And I think there were nine or 11 people housed that way from the encampment. There are still a few people left. But what you've seen, I think that case, that one was slightly different. There is no other eviction happening in anywhere else. Okay. That one ha- was very small space. Now. It's not me that directed. In that case, that one, they went to court and the court said that because the fire captain said there had been three fires in that site and that they have combustible materials like propane tanks Hmm. in that very small area with all the tents. And I think what the shelter people, because of safety, did what they did. And the next morning, um, there was a fire that had three tents that were burned. And then just two days later, another fire. As it gets colder, people try to keep warm with camp stove. And that's really, really dangerous, especially inside a tent, right? It can Mm -hmm. just go off. And I think she got her hands burned quite quite seriously. So we don't want to see anyone hurt. We need to make sure that people that are staying outside have safe equipment so they don't get burned. And that we also need to uh, have alternatives if people don't want to be, we don't want them to be outside, but if they want to move inside, there's space for them. So when I first became a mayor, I put together something called a housing benefit program. Right. Over eight or 900 people now have gotten a space 
they can call their own. They're not shelters. They're actually a room or an apartment they could move into permanently. Hmm. And we have, um, the the program's rolling out. 2,000 people are going to be able to get in. That's the first deal I made with Doug Ford. I said, I'll put in 7 million. Can you put in 7 million? He said, yes, I'll do it. That was on in July. Right. And we need the federal government to join us so that we could house a lot more people immediately. It's not shelter. They actually got their own rooms. And that's the best solution. It's called the Canada-Ontario Housing Benefit. The city have never contributed to it. But I thought, you know what? Hmm. It's a good solution. Let's do it. The news cycle these days can be relentless. Let us help you with that. I'm Jordan Heath-Rawlings, host of The Big Story, Canada's most interesting daily news podcast. Every day, we stop that news cycle in its tracks and examine one big story in depth, something that matters to Canadians. You can find The Big Story every morning for free at Frequency Podcast Network or wherever you get your podcasts. Find your frequency. You've now mentioned a few times that the federal government needs to step up here. Have you heard from them at all since the announcement of this deal? Have you spoken to anyone uh, up in Ottawa? Our staff have. There's ongoing conversation. Do you know if the tenors changed since that deal? I mean, the deal was clear. They can't have loved seeing you and Doug up there uh, collaborating while they're sitting in Ottawa. Yeah, well, we took their suggestion to heart. Right. The prime minister said, go and talk to the province. Okay, we'll do that. They're part of the conversation. So they know what we need. Their staff was part of our staff team during all that discussion. So they know they have all the figures. It's taking more time for them to make a decision. I remain very hopeful they would come up with a, a solution already. They've said yes to to the housing accelerator fund that we applied for, which is great. Uh, I just need to get it through council, then the funds will start flowing. And we need some funds for TDC subway cars, some for shelters, a bit more on housing, and perhaps even some of the policing cost. Hmm. Because um, as you have recently seen, the we had to increase our anti-hate mm-hmm. uh, unit. There are so many more demonstrations because all the consulate are in Toronto, de-trafficking, where there's guns and, and drugs come through the waterways, and our marine unit is huge. Um, <clears throat> so a lot of those work that we do are really prof- provincial, well, mostly federal responsibility making sure someone obey their bail order, all this conversation about bail, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, bail order, bail reform. You can have the best law if we don't have enough police officer to make sure the person obey the bail order, it, then it won't work, right? So um, all of that is something that we are hoping that the federal government would support us. There are some uh, progressive folks who who aren't happy that you're not standing up for uh, Ontario Place and against uh, the government's plans for the land. Could you have done what would first of all? What would you say to them? And second of all, could you have done anything if you wanted to? I stood right beside 
Premier Ford and said, I believe the waterfront in Ontario Place should remain as a public park. Mm -hmm. I was very clear. I also said that um, the city of Toronto, and I know because I got the legal opinions from our solicitor. I saw. That said, um, legally, not a whole lot you can do. But I did not give land to the province. I did not say yes to the zoning change they want. I basically said, look, uh, we don't agree. And Premier Ford came in and said, well, in that case, we are going to introduce legislation and expropriate the land that belonged to the city. Now, they owned 95% or 98% of the land. We own a little piece. They they expropriate the land. They're going to take over the planning power. I said, okay, in that case, there's not a whole lot I can do because we tried fighting the province. Right. Went all the way to the Supreme Court. The last time they tried to change the number of councillors, remember, from 40-something to 20-something, yes. yeah? And the, the, the Supreme Court basically said, nope, sorry, mm-hmm. you have no right. I thought, okay. So uh, knowing what my alternative is, that I, which is not n- nothing much, uh, I said, okay, uh, rather than me spending money or city of Toronto taxpayers' dollar to go to court, knowing full well that we're not going to win, why would I want to do that? So I said, okay, I'm not going to take you to court, knowing we're going to lose, which is what that deal is all about. But I got to small things. It's that the sign center, yes, that we would um, do some community-based signs program. I'm just talking Which means to, that building will stay, I guess. I hope so. I think so. How else would you do yeah. <laughs> programming in a space that don't exist? And I just spoke to the local councillor. He's going to bring together some scientists, some local folks, uh, technological. You know, it's uh, we're beginning the process to think about what kind of exciting things can stay there uh, or recreate something locally. Um, I think that's important. Mm-hmm. And then the the question of where the parking lot is going to be. Right. Uh, so I want to save more. As I love Ontario Place. I go there to watch the sunrise, sunset, moonrise. Um, I take mm-hmm. my grandkids there. Beautiful trees. But um, so I want to keep as many, um, as much space a public space, park space as possible. So not having to build that parking lot in that on that ground, I thought that might help. I want to ask you about a bigger aspect of what we just talked about there, because as I mentioned, you, you've seen some criticisms from, from ultra progressives about not fighting harder uh, for Ontario place. But to your point, I mean, it's pragmatic. You, you want to get what you can get. Um, and, you know, Doug Ford called the collaboration here amazing. Isn't collaborating like this and the, the give and take kind of just part of what you're supposed to do? And how do we get back to the place if we were ever there where people accept that that politicians won't represent the most uh, extreme itching for a fight side of their respective parties. You know, they wanted you, they wanted you to fight Doug Ford, 
because he's Doug Ford. Yes, I know, I know. And go to court knowing full well that I would lose. Um, I don't know. Maybe because of my age, moral victory is great. <laughs> but I was um, on, in. I, I went to seven rallies, help created one, one or two of them to say to the federal government, do not invade Iraq. That was quite a long time ago. You would have seen me in many rallies, frontline in terms of fighting for what I believe in. I'm still the same person. I also, as a mayor, have the responsibility to work together with other people, whether I agree with them or not. And I think it's important that I I build bridges with people that don't necessarily see each other eye to eye so they could be more empathetic, so that they could hear each other more. And I think we can, if we do that, we will have a, better society, a better government. And in some ways, when things are so divisive, then everybody gets angry. Hmm. Don't mind being angry, but we need to transfer our anger into having something hopeful. If not, when you go from anger to despair, then you can get, it can descend into hate, mm-hmm. which is what is not a good place for society to be at. As long as we feel that we have some power to make some differences and to hear each other and find some common ground. And it's not one side, it's both sides need to do that. Let's take the time because we are so Canadian. When someone step on me, my natural instinct, I say, sorry, is someone that stepped on me, right? So we always say, thank you. We say, sorry. We we are so much, like think of Toronto. We have so many people of different, from different countries, different mm-hmm. nations, different nationality, different religious belief, living together by and large fairly harmoniously. That's hard. Yes, of course, there's hate exists, but we, in order to overcome it, we need to say less, em- empathy is more powerful. Let's find the common ground. Let's hear each other because that's what makes Toronto a special place to be. If we Mm. don't, like who else, which other country, which other city in this world can have so many people, so diverse a population living in harmony? Like, Hmm. gosh, that's what makes us special. That's what makes us as a uh, beacon of hope. Hmm. So that's why people whether they're refugees, whether they're immigrants, they come to Toronto. We want to maintain that and we want a government, all three levels of government and its people to work together. I'm really glad to get your take on that. Um, While we have you here, I want to ask you a little bit more about the Gardner and DVP specifically, huge parts of the city, uh, regardless of who controls them and decides what to do with them. You are, as I'm sure most of our listeners know, uh, a proud uh, cyclist, somebody who advocates for pedestrians. Um, The Gardner and the DVP have been used in the past to host bike rides as part of the Open Streets Toronto that allows people to walk up and down them. Um, Is the cyclist first person in you a little nervous about what happens to those pieces of infrastructure now that it is controlled by and again glad you have a good relationship with Doug Ford I I know you're familiar that he is a car first uh, politician to say the least yes uh, true did you guys discuss that kind of stuff no we didn't Um, but as we have more and more people 
living in the city, congestion is like, we need to deal with it. Mm-hmm. The more people we can get on a bike, mopeds, whatever you call them, e-bikes, you name it. The more we can get, the, the less cars on the road. The more people we can get in public transit, the mm-hmm. better it is. The more people are riding the bike, they're, getting, they're healthier, the environment is cleaner, and it's also cheaper. Right. <laughs> so it's something that I think in all major metropolis around the world, it, it's, it's a progression that people then become more and more connected to the environment. I mean, the, co- the well, we have the global, the, the Earth Summit, uh, it's on right, right now, now in yeah. Dubai, yeah. And we know we have to deal with our greenhouse gas emission, we have a climate crisis on hands, and we have to look at ways where we could uh, reduce our carbon footprint. Better buildings, better mode of transportation. Those are really important. So one way or another, we'll we'll get there. Um, Whether it's electric cars, more charging stations, all of those things. It's a combination of different methodology. Mm -hmm. But um, fixing congestion is a key priority also. And you can't do that without the public transit. You can't do that if we don't have new subway cars <laughs> and more investment in TTC. And that's why you uh, offload a couple highways. That's right. Um, this has freed up. I, I know the city's been in financial trouble. This has freed up an awful lot of money, maybe not quite as much as you wanted just yet until the federal government comes on board. But does the freeing up of all this money give you options in terms of what you're going to do with the property tax? And do you have any indication of which direction that's going? No, not yet. Oh, come on. I thought you were going to help. because you know why? Because half those money are conditional to the, to the federal government, right? So right. I don't know. We're still in the middle of a budget consultation. Yeah. One of my campaign promise was to uh, open up City Hall. Because like in the past, you get the budget. It's it's the councillors and, and the staff that put it together. The mayor presented, and then you get five minutes to speak to it, and that is the end of it. We've turned it completely around. Before you even put the budget together, we're asking the people, what do you want? Right. What do you want? What matters to you? Let's invest in what matters to you. So I'm waiting for that to come back. Uh, and then the budget committee in January will put the budget together, have more consultation, Send it over to me in February. On February 1st, I'll present my budget. That's when I, Mm -hmm. at that time, on February 1st, you will see what is the property tax (laughs) increase. And if those of you that don't want a big property tax increase, call up your member of parliament, call up other levels of government, whoever represents you, uh, provincial, federally. Um, Where will Torontonians see the investment from this deal first, leaving aside the stuff that we're waiting on the federal government for, because, you know, you hope they come through, they may not. Where's the easiest place that someone listening to this who lives in Toronto will see this investment? TTC. Really? Oh, yeah. How fast? Well, immediate. And uh, more more buses. Hmm. More frequency. So some of those that were cut are now coming back? Uh, uh, 98% Hmm. of all the buses, all the bus route that have been cut, all coming back. In fact, you know what's amazing? 
because we have restored a service almost, uh, mostly 95% on the subway side of things, the number of people taking TGC over weekends have gone up. Really? Yeah, even almost as much pre-COVID or maybe even more. I, I'm just getting the figures right now. I'll announce it later. Um, but uh, the indication is really decent. And one of the things that both the Premier and I want, in order to get more people taking public transit, we need to tell them, hey, it's safe. Yeah. It's safe. Come. Don't worry. Um, so hiring people, eyes and years on the ground, uh, having the self-services, mm -hmm. if you have a sense of safety, all of that is what we are doing right now. One of the things I'm really curious about is when you took office, um, and a lot of people who are progressives were happy to see you there, there was a broad perception that the city wasn't working for people, and it represented it itself. It, it was represented in little things, right? Like the washrooms in the parks are closed. Um, obviously big things like the TTC being unsafe, uh, garbage cans overflowing downtown, um, um, again, homelessness on the rise, encampments in parks. When you take office and you look at that, how do you make decisions on what to tackle first? And how do you prioritize that stuff? Uh, I inherited a $1.5 billion dollar budget shortfall. Mm -hmm. I put that as my top priority. If I don't get the money in, it doesn't matter what my priority is, I can't do anything. So what I did was to make life more affordable, immediately I came up with shelter plan and a housing plan. Housing plan that would we would build 65,000 rent control rental homes, mm -hmm. some of them very affordable. So sheltering people, get them inside, housing. And then the, the third one is public transit. Mm -hmm. So making life more affordable for people was my top priority. Those are some of the key things. And then, of course, better services, more immediate things. I opened up the pool longer. Mm -hmm. so that kids have longer time you know, because September sometimes is still quite warm. So small things like that. Um, that matters to a whole lot of people for kids that want to go swimming after school. Well, that's what I'm talking out. about, right? It's like the broken windows theory Absolutely. where when somebody sees that overflowing trash can, it feels like the city is a mess even though it's just on that corner. Exactly. So uh, all those areas of services whether it's washrooms, trash cans, potholes. Um, I have a team working on it, and I want to invest in those areas because for far too long, those basic services have been starved. And, and then you can cut a year, two year, three year. After a while, there's not much you can do, cut. And then the, the service just decrease more and more and more until you go, oh my God. Um, so I'm building it back up. So you will see, hopefully, in the budget, libraries, community centers, parks, potholes, all those, quote, smaller things, are, the services will be restored so they can be as better as it could be. Can we fix it in one year? Probably not. Because just making sure the washroom are open in winter takes several years to do. 
but we can have part of parties. <laughs> you can still be able to go on the trail and and hike in the winter time if you choose to, and still be able to find a find a place. So going to Washington, something so small, right? Right. For some people, it's not that small. So back to your question: affordability, immediate service. Can can we have a safer city so people don't live in fear? Especially if they take subways and walk on the streets, and and that piece is safety is also really important because if people don't feel safe, then they either don't take TTC or they don't walk on the street. They don't don't go to the park. That's not good. Mayor Chow, thank you so much for this. Thank you for your time. Uh, be interesting to see if the federal government steps up. I guess. Uh, do you have a deadline for them? Uh, well, we pass a budget mid February. We'll see. Tick tick. Thank you again for your time. Thank you. Toronto Mayor Olivia Chow graciously offering us some time. That was the big story. For more from us, you can head to thebigstorypodcast.ca. If you want to offer us some feedback on this episode or as always any other, you can find us on Twitter at thebigstoryfpn. You can talk to us via email. Hello at thebigstorypodcast.ca is that address and... We have a phone number if you want to call us up, 416-935-5935. Joseph Fish is the lead producer of The Big Story. Robin Simon is also a producer on this program. Stephanie Phillips is our showrunner. Mary Jubrin is our digital editor. Momen Qureshi helped us out with research on this episode in particular. Ryan Clark, Christian Proholm, and Mark Angley are our sound designers this week. Diana Kay is our manager of business development and occasionally now Chase producer. And I'm your host and executive producer, Jordan Heath-Rawlings, thanking you as always for listening. Have a safe weekend. We've got In This Economy for you tomorrow. And then we'll talk to you on Monday. The news cycle these days can be relentless. Let us help you with that. I'm Jordan Heath-Rawlings, host of The Big Story, Canada's most interesting daily news podcast. Every day, we stop that news cycle in its tracks and examine one big story in depth, something that matters to Canadians. You can find The Big Story every morning for free at Frequency Podcast Network or wherever you get your podcasts. Find your frequency.